0: Dear congregation, I invite you again to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. How many of you have worried about something in this past year? Certainly there's much reason for worry and for anxiety, isn't there? We can think of this at the global scale and and watch with concern as we see the war in Ukraine, the the threats and the hints of, of nuclear weapons being used. We can worry when we think about China and Taiwan and the increasing hostility and the tension that we see between these two countries. Uh, We can worry as we see the food and the energy crisis in in other parts of this world. Also, we can think of more locally and perhaps more personally. We may wonder what we're going to do as as gas and, and food prices keep rising. How am I going to be able to provide for my family? Or how can I care for my aging parents? Who's going to look after my children if something suddenly happened to me? What are my college or university classmates going to think if they find out I'm a Christian? Are they going to start treating me different? Are they going to reject me? For our children here, we can worry as we think of big assignments coming up. If you have that difficult Bible or or science or social test in school. For us as parents and grandparents, we can be much concerned and anxious as perhaps some of our children show little interest in the Lord and and have no desire to come to church or to read God's Word. These concerns and so many others, these can overwhelm us. These can weigh us down. These can keep us awake at night and make it difficult even to get our work done. Some of these, sometimes these thoughts and these concerns, they can even make us physically sick. Or make us even despair of life and consider suicide or just trying to end it all. So worry and anxiety can be caused by the things that are going on around us, things in our families. There's also other things that can make us anxious, that can cause us to worry. When Adam and Eve sinned, brokenness and death came into this world. Not just physically, but also mentally and emotionally. Emotionally. We know. I'm sure we know people among us who struggle with anxiety, those who struggle with depression, those who, maybe for short term, short short times, have postpartum depression or the baby blues. Uh, we we can know even as we as we anticipate the winter coming and the the lack of sunlight how this can help. This can cause some of us to be more discouraged and down, and for others, they have deeper. Struggles like schizophrenia or bipolar and these illnesses that they have, these, these affect the way that they think. At times these can, these can cloud the realities that we find in Scripture. Instead of seeing, seeing clearly what God has revealed, they see through, through tinted glasses. They can struggle to, to understand, to comprehend who God is and, and what God means to them right now. Others of us, can struggle with anxiety as we maybe learn it from others. If you grew up in a home where your, pa- your parents were often anxious and worrying, this, this can have an impact on the children. Our anxiety can be caused by a, a painful circumstance in our past. The children, if you have a bad crash on a bike, the next time you think about going biking again, you can become anxious and, and scared and worried. For others of us, if you've ever been in a bad car accident, every time you get back into the car, you you think back to that accident. You become afraid and you begin to worry what's going to happen next. Through all of these things, we can see the effects of the fall of man. We can see the effects and the impact of sin in the world around us. The effects of sin in our own hearts and our own minds. Through this all, we also recognize not only that we sin but also that we're sinned against by others. So how then are we as Christians to think about everyday worry and anxiety? How would Christ have us live in light of the struggles that we face? This is what I want to study this morning from our text, Matthew Matthew 6, verses 25 through 33. I want to consider it under this theme, Jesus' cure for our anxiety. Jesus' cure for our anxiety. You want to see this in three thoughts. First of all, the tendency he so patiently addresses. Then second, the priority he so earnestly counsels. And then third, the care he so richly promises. So Jesus' cure for our anxiety, we begin by considering this tendency that he so patiently addresses. As we begin to to look at Christ's cure for our anxiety, I do want to make two clarifying statements. The first is Christ's command that we do not be anxious, that we do not worry. This does not mean that we do not care, that we are not to be concerned about those around us. We should care about providing for our children. We should care about the spiritual well-being of our families and of our loved ones, We should care and take thought of how we are to live in challenging circumstances. Taking Jesus as our ultimate example, we see He does not send away hungry crowds, but He feeds them. He he cares for their physical needs. We can read how Jesus was grieved, how He wept, because of the hardness of heart, because of the unbelief in Jerusalem. Jesus truly cared. He was concerned. He cared for for people, for loved ones. And yet Jesus was never sinfully anxious. So, not to worry does not mean we don't care. And the second clarifying statement is that trusting and depending on the Lord and on His provision does not take away our responsibility to use the means He has given us. For example, if you worry that you are sick, you should go to a doctor. If you worry that you can't provide for your children with the current income, you can look for a better job. You can ask for a raise. As you look ahead to retirement, it's good and proper to, to save money and to prepare for that stage of life. God normally uses ordinary means to supply us with the things that we use. So, not caring, or so trusting and depending upon God does not mean we have no responsibility. Let's now go and look at four ways in which Jesus, in this passage, addresses this tendency. How he shows us what is wrong with worrying. The first way Jesus does this is by, wor- by showing us that, showing us the real purpose of life. In verse 25, the first verse of our text, we read this. Therefore I say to you, take no thought for your life. What ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. And these opening words, take no thought. This does not mean don't think about it at all. But the idea here is don't worry. Do not be anxious about this. This is more than a suggestion. Jesus here is giving us a command. He's commanding us, do not worry what things are we not to worry about? And Jesus here specifically mentions food, drink, and clothing. These essentials of life, these things that we cannot live without. I think if most of us here are honest, we rarely worry about having enough food to eat. We rarely worry about where our next cup of water is going to come from. Most of us here do not worry about having clothes to wear. But the point here is, these are the essentials for life. And if Christ is commanding us to not worry about these essentials, then obviously we should also not be worrying about other things. Things like, uh, like clothing or like uh, what people think about us, the work that we're going to do or uh, other things that we'll come to later. And Paul also speaks of this way in Philippians chapter 4 verse 6. He there writes, Be careful or be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Or why should we not worry? Jesus answers that with a question of his own. He asks us, Is not life more than food and the body than clothing? And the obvious and expected answer to these questions from Christ is yes. There is more to life than food. There is more to life than the clothing that we wear. God has placed us here for a purpose, for a reason. We'll come back to that in a few minutes, but already now we can say, don't worry about all these earthly things, because when you're worrying about them, you're missing the real purpose of life. Well, The second way Jesus addresses this tendency that we have to worry is by showing us That worrying does not solve the problem. And many of us know this from experience, don't we? It's so easy to to sit on the couch or to sit at the table and to worry and worry and worry. And yet that in itself does nothing. Especially when we worry about things that are in the future. Things that might someday maybe happen. Worrying about these things does not help, it doesn't solve the problem. In verse 27, Jesus gives us an example of this. He says, which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his stature? Now, either this can mean that by worrying, you can add 18 inches to your height. Or sometimes it's also translated that by worrying, you can add a cubit to the length of your life. Well, either way, the obvious answer is no. If you are worried about your height and you set the table and you worry about it, you're not all of a sudden going to grow that much taller. And if you're worrying about the day of your death, you're not somehow going to add a a year or a decade to, to the life you're going to live. Worrying does not solve the problem. Well, the third way Jesus addresses this tendency is by showing us that worrying is a sign of lack of trust. It is a sign of lack of trust. In verse 30, Jesus says, Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, And tomorrow is cast into the oven. Shall he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Notice here what Jesus calls people who worry. O you of little faith. Now, he doesn't say, you of no faith. So when we worry, it's not necessarily evidence that we are not a believer, that we're not real Christians. Yet Christ is saying that when we are worrying, when we're being anxious, we're being of little faith, of little trust. This is not something that we all have to confess that we're guilty of. Often the things that we worry about, we worry about them and in, in the act of worrying, we have little trust, little, little confidence that God is going to take care of it. This rebuke can be painful to hear Yet, isn't it true that so often when we worry, we're not actively trusting in God? We have for that moment at least lost sight of who God is and His care and His provision. Well, the fourth way that Jesus addresses this tendency is by showing us that when we worry, we are acting like Gentiles. We can see that in verses 31 and 32. Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. This might be the most painful statement. By worrying, we are acting like Gentiles. Those who do not know God. Those who do not have this relationship with God. We're acting like those who bow down before pieces of wood or stone. Those who worship gods of their own imagination. And they should be worried. How can that piece of wood that is carved nicely and covered with gold, how can that help them? How can something that is not a real God answer your prayers? You can think you're the prophets of Baal in the days of Elijah. Remember there's that, they had come together on, on that mountain and there's this competition there between these 400 prophets of Baal and, and the one prophet of God, Elisha. And they were, they were going to pray and, and, and prepare a sacrifice and pray to their God and whichever God would send fire down from heaven, that was going to be the real God. They you ever stopped to think of what must have been going through the minds of these false prophets? They were there, hour after hour, crying to a God who didn't exist. They were cutting themselves, they were hurting themselves, trying to to get the pity of this this Bill, this God of thunder and this God of lightning, and yet nothing happened. How anxious these false prophets must have have become as as hour after hour went by and they were being exposed as, as being false prophets. And their God was being exposed as, as God who had no real power. A God who didn't even exist. Well, Jesus here again is not saying that when we worry, we are Gentiles. Rather, he's saying that when we worry, when we're being anxious about things, we are acting like them. As a child of God, this statement hurts. It's convicting. By faith in Christ, we are restored in our relationship to God. The Father has adopted us as His children. The Father has promised to care for us, to give us what we need. Yet we're acting like God doesn't know, like God can't help. We're acting like the great and living God whom we worship is just like an idol, a piece of wood or stone. this convicts us, doesn't it? We don't want to act like the Gentiles. We don't want to be those of little faith. So far we've seen four reasons why we are not to worry. How then does Jesus want us to live? Let's consider this in our second thought. Jesus' cure for our anxiety, the priority he so earnestly counsels. Rather than worrying about our earthly needs, Jesus tells us in verse 33 But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is what our priority, our focus needs to be. To seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That is the real purpose of our life. How does this call to seek the kingdom of God help? I does just call help us when we're struggling with anxiety and struggling with worry? Well, first of all, if you're still here today and you're not a believer, if you're not part of this kingdom of God, then all these other things that we can worry about, they're insignificant. They're unimportant. To put it bluntly, if you're on your way to hell, who cares what people think about your clothes? Who cares about what people think about your athletic abilities or the way that you look. Today might be your last day. All of us at a moment could drop dead from a heart attack, from a stroke, a blood clot. The next time we get in a car or ride our bikes, that might be the last time. Worrying about what people think about clothes, worrying about government mandates, worrying about the war in Ukraine worrying about food and drink, as important and necessary as these things are, these are nothing compared to our great need, our need to be right with God, our need to have our sins forgiven, our need to have the righteousness of Christ applied to our hearts and to our lives. This describes you today. And instead of worrying about food, drinking, clothing, your priority is to come to Christ. To come to Him who invites you, who calls you, who commands you to come in and through His Word. To come to Christ believing that He is the way, the truth, and the life. To come to Christ knowing and believing that He receives all who come to Him. That He gives forgiveness, that He gives eternal life to those who trust in Him. But seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, this does not end once we are saved. When we know that we, by God's grace, have become citizens of his kingdom and the righteousness of Christ has been applied to us, we don't then sit back and say, okay, my sins are forgiven, I'm saved from hell, I'm going to heaven, I'm going to live life like I please. No, once you begin to believe, the Bible tells us that God also through His Spirit continues to work in us, to, to shape us and to mold us. God through His Word and Spirit begins to make us more like Christ Himself. To seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness is to, is to begin to produce fruits, fruits of repentance, fruits of faith. To do good works out of thankfulness to God, out of gratitude to God. It is to, is to put on the whole armor of God to show forth the fruits of the Spirit. It is to continue to look to Christ and to depend on Him to, to help and to lead and to guide you through this life. To seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness means there's a shift in priorities. The focus is not so much anymore now on me, on on the things that I want, on the things that I think I need for this life. But now there's an increasing focus on who God is. Begin to think more of of all that He has revealed to us in His Word. His greatness, His holiness, His majesty, His love, His care. Begin also to, to look more around us. And to see the needs in this world, the needs of other people who are on their way to eternity. Many who do not know Christ, who are not trusting in him. As we go on in the Christian life, we need to again and again lift our eyes up away from our problems and to refocus ourselves on Christ and who He is. We need to remind ourselves. <coughs> We need to remind ourselves that God is sitting on the throne, that He is King over all of this world, all of this universe, and that a day is coming when all the rulers in this world, when they will bow their knees before Him, when they will give an account for their actions to the King of kings and the judge of the living and the dead. We need to remind ourselves that not a hair can fall from our heads without the will of our Heavenly Father. We need to remember that Christ is coming back, that He is going to right all wrongs. He's going to end all suffering, all pain for believers. And He is going to punish those who reject Him, those who refuse to bow the knee. Congregation, do you struggle with worry? I think if you are honest, many of us, if not all of us, have to confess that we do. We are often anxious. We're often bowed down with the things of this world. And when I look back in my own life to the things, to the times when I worry, I find that so often it's true that this is not a time I'm actively seeking God and I'm not actively focused on the kingdom of God and His righteousness. So often when I worry, it's because God has become small in my mind. And people and problems have become big. But Jesus here in this passage, are tell, are telling, Jesus in his passage is telling us not to worry. He's telling us to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We are to look at every situation, every promise in light of the gospel. We face difficulties, we face concerns, we should ask ourselves. How does knowing that God is over all things, how does that help me right now? How does God's care help me? How can I trust in that? How can the reality, if I'm a believer, how does that help me to to go on with confidence and with joy? Well, there's one other aspect to Jesus' cure for our anxiety which he gives us that we have not considered yet. Let's go on to our third thought to consider Jesus' cure for our anxiety and the care he so richly promises. The care he so richly promises. As you've been looking at various parts of our text, you may have noticed that I skipped num- a number of verses or parts of verses. And really, in this whole passage, there's a lot of emphasis on God's care, his provision. Well, let's read through part of this again, beginning at verse 26. And we read there, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are ye not much better than they? Then in verse 28, And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field which today is, and tomorrow was cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. There's so much that can be said about these verses, as much that it should encourage us here in this passage. I want to, in a third thought, briefly consider four lessons, again, of, of the promised care of God. And the first lesson of this promised care is that Jesus points us to God's faithful provision for the insignificant. God's faithful provision for the insignificant. Jesus draws our attention to birds, to flowers, and to grass. He's not just saying, look at them and, and then move on. He's saying, consider them. Think about them. Those birds that we see flying through the air, those geese that we can see now as they head south week after week, they don't have barns to store food in. Or in our context, they don't have stocked grocery stores to which they can go and to, in which they can have all their needs supplied. Instead, these birds, they go out day by day looking for food. And we read that God feeds them. And I look at the lilies of the field. These flowers that we can uh, admire in the spring. These flowers with their beautiful petals. Where do they get that beauty from? The passage tells us, This is from God. Each one has received this this beauty from God and their beauty is even greater than the beauty of Solomon and and all his glory and all his his riches and wisdom. Picture now that grass that grows in the field and the ditches. Right now everything is turning brown and is dead, but in the spring we can see billions of little blades of grass. Each one has been clothed by God. Each one receives this this care and this source of life from God and is preserved by Him. This in itself is an amazing fact, isn't it? That every bird we see, every flower that blooms, every blade of grass has life from, is clothed, is provided for by God. Now, Jesus goes on to take this picture and to argue from the lesser to the greater. He's saying, When you see God's care for birds, for flowers, and for grass, are you not worth so much more? He says, Are you not much better than they? If God so clothed the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Both these questions are rhetorical, and the obvious answer is yes. If God shows this kind of care, this kind of provision for grass that is here today and is gone tomorrow, then we can trust in Him to provide for us. We can trust Him to care for for us as people, those who are made in the image of God. We who were formed from the dust of the ground and had life breathed into us, We not only have a body and physical life, but we have a a mind and a soul for for a never-ending eternity. Can we not trust and believe that if God takes care of these small things, He's also going to take care of me? So seeing God's care for insignificant things, it's ought to take away our worry and anxiety and give us confidence to trust Him with all our needs. The second lesson that we can have of, of this promised care is that Jesus emphasizes our relationship with God. Look with me again at verse 26. He does not say, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet their Creator or their God feeds them. But no, Jesus here is emphasizing that it is our Heavenly Father who takes care of them. These birds, this this grass, they don't have God as their father. Yes, he's their creator. He's the one that gives them life. But this relationship of father and child is a special relationship that only we as people can have. Through Jesus Christ, fallen sinners, those who have rebelled against God, those who are dead in their sins, can be made right with him. And all true believers are adopted. They're adopted as children of God. They're co-heirs with Christ. So remembering that God is our Father ought to give us confidence, ought to take away our worry and anxiety as we rest in His perfect care. Well, the third lesson we can have with this promised care is that Jesus reminds us of our Heavenly Father's knowledge. In the beginning of verse 31, Jesus again tells us not to worry. verse 32 gives us two reasons why not. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, and we looked at that in our first thought. But the second reason in verse 32 why Jesus tells us not to worry is, for your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. The congregation, as we struggle with worry, as we feel the cares of this life pressing down on us, These cares can take away our joy and take away our hope. We need to remind ourselves of this. Your Heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. He knows our needs. He knows our cares. So often we can feel alone. We can feel like there's no one else who knows what we are going through. There's no one else who really cares for us. Yet we're told Your Heavenly Father knows. He knows our needs. He knows our struggles. And if He knows how this should help to take away our, take that weight off our shoulders, how this should give us comfort and relief. We can take this even a step further, can't we? God not only knows what we need, He knows what we need better than we ourselves know what we need. There's times in this life when we want something, when we think we need something, yet we don't get it. It's not because God doesn't know. It's not because He doesn't care. It's because He, in His wisdom, doesn't give it to us now. Well, the fourth and last last thing concerning this promised care is that Jesus promises provision. Jesus promises provision. In verse 33 we, we read, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. We're told that when you make seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness our priority, that we can trust that God our Father will take care of us. This is not a health and wealth gospel where as long as you have enough faith, you'll get whatever you want. But rather, this is an expectant looking to God a trusting in God, a submitting to God and His care for us. And again, we can struggle with this, can't we? We can look at Christians in other parts of this world where they're starving to death. There's no drinking water. They're being persecuted. We can wonder, well, aren't they seeking God? Or is there no seeking after His righteousness? Why does God not give this to them? This is where we need to humbly submit One pastor puts it this way, God will give you whatever you need as he himself sovereignly determines what is best for you and according to his rich provision. Sometimes we are left with answers and we have to say, I don't know. I don't know why Christians in Sudan are are starving to death. I don't know why Christians in North Korea are in prison and, and going through this suffering. And yet when we think about what God has given them, how they too can rejoice, what is the greatest thing that God ever gives to His people? It's His own Son, His beloved Son, His only begotten Son. In Romans 8, you read, He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? The Father did not hold back His Son. So when we as Christians or we see Christians in other places suffering, it's not because God doesn't care. It's not because He is unable to give them food or to, to deliver them from persecution. But God in His wisdom and in His love, He is allowing them to go down these difficult roads Yet He has given them the greatest thing of all. He has given them His Son. His Son through which they can be forgiven. They they have been saved. And He ultimately in heaven, He will clothe them. He will feed them. He will provide them for everything that they need for all of eternity. What love God has for His children. and What confidence we should have to expectantly look to Him to trust in Him, to love Him, and to worship Him. Well, dear congregation, in this passage we see something of Jesus' cure for our anxiety. Not worrying does not mean not caring. And trusting does not mean we sit back and wait for, for God to serve us everything on a golden platter. We have to use the means. And yet, in everything that we do, there should be a Kingdom of God focus. We should be a seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. We should be a seeking to serve God, to love God, to worship Him. We should be a striving as believers to, to go forward in this life, depending on the help of the Holy Spirit to, to, to deal with our anxiety, to deal with our worries. In this passage, Jesus has shown us that when we worry, when we're being anxious, we miss the real purpose of life. It doesn't help to solve the problem. We're being like those of little faith, like the Gentiles. And as we hear this, we can be discouraged this morning. We can hear this command, and we can be reminded that day after day, we fail, we come short. It may seem impossible for us to stop worrying to stop being anxious. Here we need to remember that the same Lord who commands us to stop being anxious, it's also He who can can give us the strength and the confidence to go forward trusting Him. Also to to remember that the finished work of Christ also covers the sin of us being anxious and worried when we shouldn't be. Christ is a complete, a perfect Savior. His blood is enough not only to cleanse us from from the sins of of hatred, of anger, of lust, but His blood is also enough to cover the sins of of insecurity, of doubt, of unbelief, of worry. How this should motivate us, how this should encourage us to always go back to Christ, to go to Him, to confess to Him, Lord, help me not to worry. Lord, forgive me for worrying. Lord, give me strength. And Lord, thank you that your blood is enough to also cover this sin. The next time we are, we are afflicted by worry, let's go back to Christ. Let's remind ourselves of the greatness of God, of His ultimate provision in Christ. Let us seek to glorify God through all that we do. Amen. Amen.